Hi, everybody. Good to see you all. This morning, I'm going to be talking about immortality and the way that we celebrate it every day, even though maybe we haven't um, thought about it in that way. So let's pray. Father, I thank you that um, this message is so godly. It seems like it's actually not that easy to express in human words. It's such a beautiful mystery of your love that comes from your heart to us to bring who you are into our being and making a new creation out of your love. I just thank you that your spirit is with each person here uh, for open ears and open hearts. I know that uh, once this message is spoken, that it's going to continue to resonate and you're going to continue to open up um, more and more revelation for everyone. And I thank you for that, Father. Amen. So I want to talk about immortality. The name of the message is Celebrating Immortality. I want to talk about the resurrection power that God has given to us and the impact that it has on our lives for eternity for sure, but also for the right here and now. The resurrection of Jesus fills us up with the faith of the Son of God, and it gives us God's perspective when we live each day of our lives. And so we don't have to live limited by our own perceptions, our own ideas. We can let the faith of God discern and give us the right perspective about everything that we encounter in our lives. God's faith, the way he believes and the way he sees things is what's most important. Many years ago, God told me that it wasn't what happened to me that was the problem. It was what I thought about what happened to me was the problem. Now, the first time I heard that, I certainly didn't believe it. I resisted it. I fought against it. <laughs> but he kept telling me, gently, kept telling me over and over again, what has happened to you is not the problem. The only problem is what you believe about it. So what we think is our problem, meaning our circumstances, isn't really the problem at all. The real problem is what we think about those circumstances. Sometimes that's really a hard concept to get our minds wrapped around, especially when we're in difficult circumstances. But God is faithful, and he has over the years brought that revelation to me over and over and over again to persuade me that that's the truth. As we watch what his resurrection power does with the death that comes at us, we can get a view of God's immortality and its ability to unwind death and bury it for us. Yeah. Imagine if we really believed that was true. What would that mean? We would always have the desire to see everything from God's perspective. We would no longer trust in what we see about a situation or a person. We would have no fear about what could happen because what happens isn't the real problem. Having God's perspective in this world fills us with love and joy and peace. If we have the wrong diagnosis, you won't get the right solution. Isn't that what we see today? Theologies and doctrines have been invented by man so we could try and escape the corruption in this world when that isn't the real problem. I know I was in Word of Faith for a long time, and the way to escape the corruption in the world was to strengthen your own faith so that you could make it not exist. I worked really hard at that for a lot of years. And unfortunately, my life wasn't so bad, so I thought it was working. <laughs> so then when I got confronted with the truth, 
I resisted it because, you know, the other thing they teach is that you hold on to your faith. You don't let anybody take it from you. Otherwise, things will start going wrong in the world for you. And so I needed God's perspective. Man's perspective wasn't going to cut it. It just wasn't. And what I found was as God enabled me, because I don't think I could put that down myself, God enabled me to put that down and open my eyes and let me see that it wasn't what I did that mattered. It was what he did. And how amazed I was that somehow, even though I felt like I was fully engulfed in the gospel, my gospel had been turned upside down and I was trusting in my own works instead of what God had done for me in Jesus. God has already taken care of the corruption that's in this world. Yep. We need that revelation. We need it. As I got this message from God, I said, God opened my eyes more and more so I can see it. It's easy to see it when he gives you the message, but then when the corruption comes at you, that's when you got to go back and talk to him again. Talk to him again. God, I need your perspective. I need your faith. I need to see through the eyes of immortality. Yeah. Sometimes God's persuasions come in little uh, mild whispers. Sometimes they come so powerfully, it feels like you're being knocked off your feet. I'm going to share two examples of that this morning in the message. I use denial a lot in my life to suppress the pain that I had in my heart. It seemed to work for a while, but then some circumstance would bring up heartbreaking beliefs out of my heart and they would come to the surface and I didn't know how to deal with them. In one of those revelations, um, God showed me my grandfather and I and Jesus all in a football huddle in his room. And my grandfather had our heads hugged down in, in shame and in fear and guilt. And it seemed like in that picture that our shame and our guilt was beyond consolation. It was beyond repair. Nothing could fix it. My grandfather had gotten involved in satanic rituals in the little town that he lived in. And he and the town priest and doctor were the leaders there. When my parents sent me to live with my grandparents, I was involved in it from probably one to four years old. So I got programmed. I got programmed to be a breeder. But worse than that was I got programmed to not trust God. I got programmed that if anybody was going to help me, it had to be me. And so I grew up thinking that God was not there for me. He did not want to help me. And I was the one, the burden was put on my shoulders to not only save myself, but to save all the other people there involved. That was what was causing all the, the shame and fear that was in my grandfather and I. Horrible memories came to us and our minds and hearts were tormented. Well, in this picture that God gave me, Jesus is in that huddle too with my grandpa and I. And his head wasn't hanging down. He wasn't feeling guilt. He wasn't feeling shame. He had his arms around my grandpa and I, and he was throwing his head back and laughing. Oh my gosh. I didn't respond very kindly <laughs> at that moment. The whole thing caught me off guard. All I could think of, what does he find that's so funny? I asked him, how can you laugh at this? How could you possibly think there's anything funny here? And Jesus just looked at me with that awesome smile. And he said, when you see what I do with all of this, you're going to laugh too. You see, Jesus was seeing through different eyes than I was seeing. He was looking through the eyes of life 
and immortality. He was looking through the faith that he had. So what I began to realize and God showed me is that my perspective, the perspective that I had, I was looking through death, the lens of death. I was looking at what had happened to me, not that the problem was my beliefs. I thought the problem was what had happened to me. And so that opened up a whole new realm of hatred, <laughs> getting back at people. And you know, when you get so much hatred in your heart, even as a little kid, you want to take it out on anybody you can. I had no ability to take it out on my grandparents. So I took it out on neighbors, people that were friends of mine. It's like this thing, death manifests in you because of the wrong beliefs and it just pops out and it oozes out at anybody that's around. And so I lived in that wrong belief system, but believing that my beliefs weren't what were messed up, that it was what had happened to me that was the problem. The perspective that Jesus had about all of that was so different from mine. He didn't even find shame in the things that I did when that hate came out. I know I've talked about it before. I splattered colored paint all over my next door neighbor's white wood lawn furniture. Just because hatred was coming up so much inside of me and I had to vent. Have you ever felt like you had to vent? <laughs> well, that's what would happen. And so every now and then, I just had to vent. But Jesus, he had this perspective for me. He had this perspective. It was actually already mine, but I didn't know it existed. He wanted to show me that I didn't have to hang my head down either. I didn't have to have guilt. I didn't have to have shame. I didn't have to have fear. I could laugh at those circumstances. Only as he gave me the perspective that he already had. Immortality, that is what the perspective is. It shapes and exists in God's life. Immortality. I was looking at what happened to me <clears throat> and judging everything through death and that it couldn't be fixed. How do you fix something that's already happened? Mm. How do you fix something that's already happened? Well, in the carnal mind, you can't. But you see, in the immortality realm, since it isn't what happened that's the problem anyway, it's fixable. It's fixable when you get God's perspective and you're filled with his immortality. I found out over time that Jesus was right. You know, there's something. God is never wrong. <laughs> never, not ever, not even one time. <laughs> I mean, we know that and we say that that's true. But sometimes when the rubber hits the road, we have a hard time just relaxing and letting go and trusting him. God had an amazing plan for my life, an amazing plan. Both of my grandparents got saved at the end of their life. They are going to live forever in immortal bodies. I'm going to get to enjoy life and know them free from all that death. My children that the enemy had destined for sacrifice are all talking to Jesus now, all talking to Jesus. He gave me beauty for ashes. He turned my mourning into dancing. Did God undo the rituals I went through? No. Did he stop me from going to live with my grandparents? No. Then how did he remove the effects of those experiences without undoing the circumstances. It's because he is God and he knows our hearts inside out and he knows how to minister the truth 
and his life to us so that it, it not only undoes what happens, it fills you up fuller than if it didn't happen. I mean, that is a hard thing to explain, but I'm going to try to today. He doesn't just level the playing field. He doesn't just wipe the slate clean. He fills you with abundance till your cup overflows in those very places that death came at you. He can heal all those things by just changing our perspective and showing us his. His life has already overcome all the death in the world. There is nothing that death can dish out to us that God hasn't already taken care of. This morning, I want to spread out death that's in the world so you can briefly get a little taste of it. And then we're going to allow the light and perspective of God to be experienced firsthand to see what immortality and corruption and incorruption does to mortality and corruption. We want to realize what happens when light enters the darkness so we can see the power of immortality at work. 2 Corinthians 4, 6 says that God's power, that the power of God's immortality and its effect on death are displayed. Mm. God displays the power of his immortality and its effect on death. For God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, has shined in our hearts. Ooh, so this immortality, it's in our hearts and it's going to shine through them to give light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus. In the face of Jesus. That's where it's at. The faith of the Son of God. Immortality. Resurrection power. We see that in the face of the raised Jesus. God can bring his light and life and his, his immortality out of the darkness. He did it in Jesus, in the tomb, behind the stone that blocked the doorway, with soldiers guarding the area. Just think, men, mortal men, trying to contain God's power with mortal strength. <laughs> there is no mortal power that can supersede God's immortality. No stone, no guards, nothing else. No cross. <laughs> no cross. <laughs> it didn't matter what I had experienced as that little girl living with my grandparents. Nothing could stop God's resurrection power from coming forth out of that darkness to save and rescue me. Not only out of the situation, because I did get out, here I am, <laughs> but also out of the death that those circumstances tried to keep me tied to. Because even once I wasn't physically in the situation anymore, I had all those beliefs. They went with me when I left. They were in my heart. Remember, that's the real problem. So. I didn't leave the real problem behind me. I brought the real problem along with me. But you know, God's immortality goes after all that stuff. We can all see, also see God's display of immortality in Psalm 23, verse 4. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. This scripture says that we can be in the presence of our enemies, death all around us, and still not have fear. We can be comforted by God and have the abundance of God's life. Now, that's not to say that there's something wrong with us 
if when we are in the presence of death and darkness, that we do feel fear, that we are afraid. It only means that that's when we go to God to get his perspective, to get his comfort. He is our source, and he is the abundance of life that we need. That is the power of immortality, resurrection power. We can be in the presence of death, and God is there ministering life to us. We can be experiencing corruption, and God is ministering incorruption to us at the same time. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, that word valley evokes a picture in our minds that existed before we ever read the verse. We talk a lot about that in this church. We bring our pre-existing beliefs into scriptures and we interpret them according to that reasoning and not the reasoning of God. That causes us to misinterpret scriptures and sometimes to miss the deep meaning that they're trying to convey to us. So I'm gonna talk about that word valley because there's a deeper meaning in it that God wants us to um, know and experience. So the picture in our minds is of a deep gorge that has either hills or mountains rising up on both sides. It's a place of being lower than. Now let's look at the Bible de definition of valley. It means a narrow gorge, but it also means exaltation. Does that not seem to fit? <laughs> As you continue to go to the root word, gaw, it means to mount up, to rise, to be majestic glorious, grow up, increase, be risen, triumph. What an amazing thing to have attached to the word valley, where we think of the valley as the low place, the place of defeat. But it means it's a place to come out of. It's a place to rise above in triumph in God's immortality. It isn't a place that we stay in. It isn't a place of defeat. It's a place of victory. It's a place that you rise up out of in triumph. Just like the light rises out of darkness, we are more than conquerors through Christ. Romans 8 tells us that there's nothing that can happen to us in this world and you know, it doesn't say things like a broken fingernail or you put on 10 pounds. It doesn't say those kind of things. It says no distress, no persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, or sword can separate us from God's love and his comfort. There is nothing too big that God's immortality can't come and swallow up. Our enemies do not win. God and his immortality win. Death comes at us in many forms. We see it in corruptible bodies. We see it in the fruit that death brings, fear, guilt, shame, really any belief that is contrary to the life and light that's of God. As you go further into the psalm, it says, I will fear no evil. Can you imagine never feeling fear? <laughs> what an amazing way to live life. No fear. Can you imagine not feeling fear when something bad is happening? Mm. Can you imagine feeling peace and joy in the middle of something bad happening? How is that possible? I'm not negating the fact that we do have feelings. And I don't want anybody to misinterpret this and say that we're not supposed to have feelings. It's normal for us to have grief, sadness, when things are going difficultly for us. 
But when we go to God and we get his perspective and we let him fill us up as many times as it needs to be, we will find those feelings were placed with his life, which is love, joy, and peace. Stephen experienced it, Stephen in the Bible. I think being stoned to death fits in the category of something bad happening, don't you? <laughs> Not too many of us have experienced that. Just think about it. I want you to put yourself in Stephen's place for a few minutes. You are the center of the town's anger and hatred. You are publicly ridiculed. <laughs> Already there, you said? <laughs> Well, brother, this message is for you. <laughs> People from all in the synagogues came together against Stephen. And why was that? Because Stephen was some terrible criminal? What was he guilty of? He preached the gospel. He preached the true gospel. Many people were preaching the gospel they were doing just fine. <laughs> but when Stephen started preaching the true gospel, things began to change. He was compelled by the love of God to care more about himself. I'm sorry, to care more about them than himself. He was compelled to preach the true gospel to them so they could receive eternal life. He was doing good. He was trying to help the very people that were angry at him. They caught him and brought him before the elders and scribes and the council. They set up false witnesses to lie about him. How do you feel when somebody lies about you? <laughs> what about in public? <laughs> what about in a formal gathering? Then the council allows Stephen to have his say. He takes them through all the scriptures that they already knew. I'm not talking they knew. They knew them by heart. These scriptures they had memorized. How did they miss Jesus? How did they miss Jesus in all the scriptures? Because they were reading them through the belief system of death and not life, through the corruptible man's reasoning, and not immortality. He took them through all the great men of God, showing them that God's heart was for them, and how the people had rejected God. Then he calls the group stiff-necked, uncircumcised in their hearts and ears, just like their fathers. He accuses them of resisting the Holy Spirit. He calls them betrayers and murderers of Jesus. He accuses them of receiving the law, but not keeping it. Ooh, that had to hurt. <laughs> he said everything he could to knock the blinders off of their eyes and hearts. The phrase, have I become your enemy? Because I tell you the truth comes to mind. Stephen's desire for them was pure. He wanted them to know the love of God. He wanted them to be set free from death. And he wanted them to have eternal life. The Bible says that they weren't able to resist his wisdom in the spirit by which he spoke. Their lies could not stand against the truth he was speaking. They got the opportunity to choose life instead of death. You would think that was a good thing, but sadly, they chose death anyway. Things started getting ugly. They rose up out of reasoning and brute passion began to take over. And what does that do to Stephen? Is he moved by their hatred? No. Is he gripped with fear? No. Why not? 
That's a big question we need to ask ourselves. Why not? It tells us why not. You know, we've read this hundreds of times, this scripture, these verses. In fact, I even thought, God, why are you taking me back to here? Everybody knows this. <laughs> Everybody knows about Stephen. <laughs> wow. There's no scripture that God can't take us deeper. It says simply that Stephen was filled with the Holy Ghost. <laughs> Duh. <laughs> That's why he wasn't filled with hatred back towards them. That's why their hatred didn't scare him. That's why he wasn't in fear. He didn't have man's belief system. His mind wasn't filled with corruption. His mind was filled with the Holy Ghost, what the Holy Ghost believed, and the life of the Holy Ghost. So he had love, joy, and peace. He had God's perspective. And you know what happens when you have God's perspective? I hope I can hold it together till I get to the place in this message. But when you get God's perspective, you see people differently. Even the people that it looked like hated you. God opens your eyes and your heart so you can see what is really going on. And it's very different than what we think in our own reasoning. So it says that Stephen looked steadfastly into heaven. That means that he gazed intently. He fastened his eyes on immortality. That's what God was showing him, immortality. He saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at God's right hand. That is immortality. That's what God opened up for Stephen to see. And he was filled with it. He didn't look at the crowds or the death that was coming at him. He kept his eyes on the resurrected Jesus. Wow. That same life is available to us. Not only is it available to us, it's already ours. It's living inside of us. The immortality and glory that Stephen saw outshined and overwhelmed and conquered any corruptible thing that came against him. That's something that I think God really wants us to get a revelation of. That there isn't anything that comes against us, no form of death in this world, that God's immortality and glory cannot overwhelm and conquer fully. Amen. Fully. Stephen told the people that he saw Jesus. <laughs> Standing at the right hand of God, that, that didn't make him too happy either. All he was doing was giving them the opportunity to see immortality also. They could have looked up. They could have gazed. But they didn't. They turned into a frenzy, and they drug him off and stoned him. Listen to what Stephen says as they're stoning him. Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. Sounds like what Jesus said when he was on the cross, doesn't it? The same life of God that ministered to Jesus when he was on the cross is the same life that's ministering to Stephen. It's the same life that ministers to us when death and darkness are attacking us. It's immortality. When we face some tribulation, God's immortality and his resurrection comes to set us free from the death that's trying to swallow us up. God's life actually swallows up the death now, we all know the story of Stephen. We've heard it many times. Sometimes it's easy to glance over things and not pick up the details.
deepness and nitty-gritty that can be there. So I'm going to do something that's going to make the story a little more real for you. However, this is not true. And when I say what it is, that'll be very obvious. But I'd just like you to feel a little bit more of the severity of what Stephen was going through. What if Stephen was your son? What if Stephen was your only son? What if you were in the crowd of people watching all that go on? What if you watched everybody wrongly accuse him, knowing that he's only trying to bring them immortality and the life of God? And then you watch them mercilessly stone your only son to death. little bit heavier. Immortality was strong enough to conquer the fear of death in Stephen. It is also strong enough to conquer the fruit of death when you're his mom or dad. Doesn't matter the level that you are involved in it. God's immortality is bigger. You have people here that are concerned about your kids, grandkids. God's got it. God wants to set you free from fear. God's immortality wants to give you a revelation of how big God is and what he can do with those circumstances that they're in. What if immortality conquers and overcomes and gets the victory over death. You know, it does. What if immortality began to look bigger to us than death? That's what God wants to do in our hearts. He wants to change our perspective. Remember when I first started this message, I said that it wasn't what happened that was the problem. It was what I believed about it. When we get a different perspective and we see immortality bigger than mortality, peace will come because we're getting God's perspective. What if you weren't afraid of death when it came at you? What if you weren't afraid of death when it came to your children? What if immortality has the power to shrink death to a light affliction and actually make it the doorway to glory? Which is what Stephen saw. He saw the doorway. I'm going to suggest that the fear of death is affected by our perspective. I know it sure has been for me. God can change our perspective. It's what he does. He wants to give us his life. Don't misunderstand what I'm saying. Death is real, and it definitely is God's enemy. So it's our enemy also. God hates death. He hates everything about it. It's a real enemy, not one to be pushed aside or put in denial, which is what I did for most of my life. But I'm not talking about denial here. I'm talking about something a lot better. I'm talking about obliteration. I'm talking about total destruction. I'm talking about death to death. Immortality. Immortality. I'm talking about life bursting forth out of death. I'm talking about light bursting forth out of darkness. The Bible says that Jesus came to set us free from the fear of death. It is something that we as mortals have when we think about death. It does produce fear. But God, in his hatred for death, does everything he can to set us free from it 
so that it doesn't frighten us. Remember, it's not what happens, but what we believe about it. If we have no fear, if we have no shame, if we have no guilt, if we're filled up with the immortality of God and we're gazing into heaven and seeing the glory of God and the resurrected Jesus, there's nothing to be afraid of. Filled with the Holy Ghost. <laughs> the enemy has attempted to keep immortality veiled for us by keeping us distracted, by keeping our eyes on cornal, temporal things, by keeping us focused on those things that are earthly, by keeping us focused on what's wrong. What's wrong with me? What's wrong with you? What's wrong in the world? What's wrong with God? There is nothing wrong with God. <laughs> we can only be captivated by one thing at a time. Have you ever tried to think about two opposing things at the same time? It's not very easy. You're either going to be focused on life or you're going to be focused on death. The world offers us so many opportunities to look at what death has to offer. It's like it pushes this platter of death in our face. But at that same table, with all the corruption in front of us, God sets his life in front of us also. He offers us his love and peace and joy, his rest as we behold immortality in the resurrected Jesus. This is yours. It belongs to you. I resisted all death and sin in the world for you, God says. I resisted it all for you because I hate how it robs you of my life. Um, I want to just uh, read something that Rick Sarver, that's how you say his last name, Sarver, uh, posted on Facebook and it just, it not only fit um, with the message, um, but it, it's like it almost catapulted me further to where God was taking me. The gospel of Christ will tell you that you are secure and complete in Christ and will deliver you from all fear, including the fear of death and lack. That is what the gospel produces in our hearts. It is the seed that's planted that brings forth God's life. His perspective so we can live our life in his light, intertwined together as one. This word contained in Christ through the gospel will lift you up from the corruption that is in this world. It will cause the hidden treasure of God that's already in you to manifest in and through your mortal flesh. Matthew 4.16 says, The people who sat in darkness saw great light. To them which sat in the region and shadow of death, light is sprung up. There is the gospel lifting us out of the valley of the shadow of death, bringing us into God's victory. What victory? Immortality the life of God. He gives us beauty for ashes and turns our mourning into dancing. We have been given this inheritance by God. It's already ours. Let's pretend for a second that we have very rich parents. One day they're going to leave this earth and you're going to be very rich. It's a free gift. You don't have to earn it and it's a blessing. But what if you fall on hard times while they're still living? It would be nice to get some of that inheritance to fall back on now. In God's inheritance to you, his, his immortality, there is a, I need to make a withdrawal right now, clause. <laughs> right now, right now on the spot. Help, God, I need it now. We don't have to wait. Yes, immortality is ours. 
we're going to live forever in immortal bodies. But this immortality that God has is so amazing of an inheritance that it comes and it brings us that life here while we're still on earth, surrounded by corruption and death, so that we can walk out of it like the young men in the fire, not even the smell of smoke on them. God wrote into his will the right now clause. This is how it reads. Because you got to have it in writing, right? The will. <laughs> John 16, 33. Jesus says, In this world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. God knows we can't do that. Right? We can't do that in our own strength. This is saying, I'm going to come alongside whatever tribulation you are experiencing, and I am going to give you the ability to have good cheer because I'm going to open up your heart and give you a revelation of how I've overcome what you're going through. Mm. Who did he overcome the world for? You. How did he overcome it? By taking every little problem away? He smote death. And he brought forth out of that death immortality. How much clearer could he display this power than the body of Jesus who died? It was seen. Corruption looked like it won. He was put in a grave. It looked like it was over. And what burst forth out of the darkness and the death but God's life, immortality, and incorruption? That's what is our inheritance. That's why Paul said he was determined not to know anything among the people save Jesus and him crucified. Paul was living in God's inheritance here on earth. He was going to God every minute. Every time he was encountered with death, and he encountered it a, a good bit, <laughs> but he got God's perspective. And so he was able to live his life by the faith of the Son of God and not by his own beliefs. You know, when we live in our own beliefs, it sure makes us feel sorry for ourselves. Have you all noticed that? I'm hoping it's not just me. <laughs> when we live out of our own beliefs, we feel so sorry for ourselves. We, we see these things that, you know, why did this happen to me? You know, but when you have God's perspective, everything changes. You see yourself wrapped in God's arms immortal and you see the circumstance totally different also because you have God's belief system now not your own corrupted reasoning Paul was celebrating immortality while he was here on this earth there's a scripture that says in him we live and move and have our being in Jesus and his life we can live and move and have our being. Paul continues to say, the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God. He didn't live by his own beliefs, which were the real problem. He didn't live by what it looked like and what the corruptible world was trying to show him. He lived by what Jesus saw and the faith of God. He lived out of immortality. That perspective belongs to us. God wants us to have it. This amazing inheritance that we have, it's living, it's active, it's powerful, it's a person, it's Jesus. Having the fullness of God dwelling inside of us, supplying all of his life 
It's for us every day. Yes, for eternity, but also for right now. We're going to take a quick look at this immortality and its ability to bring us life in a world filled with death. We're living in changing times. You know, and we can say that's really a big deal, but you know, really. Life has been changing on this earth generation after generation. Okay, yes, we live in here and we haven't been here the last 10 generations, so we don't feel it. We just feel what we're experiencing right now. But I think everybody would agree that we're seeing situations today that we haven't seen before in our own lives. Our way of life has become disrupted by corruption, political systems, lies, and man's reasoning, which are all forms of death. And we get to see it worldwide on our little screens called social media. So we get to have it just plastered in our faces all the time. If we let our minds and hearts get focused on that, that'll take a toll on us. If we get our eyes on the death in this world, the fruit of death will begin to manifest. Fear, anger, frustration, agitation. We're seeing that fruit of death rise higher and higher also. But it's always existed from the garden. But we see, fee we see fear gripping our world. We see offense increasing. There seems to be less patience and compassion. At least that's what's on the platter that they're trying to feed us. We see people judging people for their thoughts, their beliefs, and their actions. Now this judging that I'm going to talk about here is not the day of judgment that was talked about last week. It is not God bringing restoration of everything to God's original intent. It is not God revealing his judgment of man's righteousness. That is good judgment. That's the judgment that we want to just open our arms up to and say, God, I want to live in your judgment. The judging that I want to talk about um, is from Matthew 7. And it talks about people judging other people as unrighteous looking at their beliefs, looking at their actions and behavior, and saying whether they're righteous or unrighteous because of that. The definition of that word judge in Matthew 7 is to distinguish, to try, condemn, punish, call into question, and sentence. So Matthew 7, 1 says, Judge not that you be not judged, for with what judgment you judge, you shall be judged. And with what measure you meet, it shall be measured to you again. Now, there was a time when we all interpreted this scripture bass backwards. You know what I mean, exactly the opposite of what it's really saying. This is not saying if you judge somebody that God's going to judge you. That's what I was taught. It's probably what most of us were taught. This is not saying if you think bad of someone, some bad karma's now going to come on you. It's called putting the, the cart before the horse. This scripture is showing how our hearts operate, what goes on in our heart, and then what is produced. If we judge another person, it's because we already have a judgment against ourselves in our own heart. Something is messed up in our belief system. Remember, it's not really what's happening that's the problem. It's what we believe about the problem that is the problem. This judging one person by another by their fruit is contagious. It spreads. Have you ever noticed that? If somebody judges you, you find something to judge them right back for. Hey, I'm married. 
I, I experienced that, you know? And, and it's not even intentional because it's a heart condition. If Larry says something to me like, and I'm not picking on him because he's not here today, he doesn't hardly ever tell me anything that's to tell me um, I'm not doing a good job. But he does tell me things that he thinks I might have overlooked because I'm busy. So he'll say, um, you forgot to put the food in the refrigerator. Judgment, judgment, judgment. Doesn't matter whether he's judging me or not, I feel judged. So what do I do? This is effortless, y'all. Out of the heart, the mouth speaks. <laughs> if you don't like where the food is, why don't you put it away yourself? <laughs> judgment produces judgment. Okay, now here we're going to do the little flip. That is corruption and death. Now let's talk about God's judgment. God says you're righteous. So what do you offer that person? Righteousness. That is what Stephen offered the people. That is what Jesus offered the people. That is what we can offer the people. Not in our own strength, though. Only as we are filled up with God's life in his immortality. So I'm not preaching these things out of a place of I have arrived. I am probably preaching out of a place that God says, golly, you really need help in this area. <laughs> so I'm going to give you this message. <laughs> so the other day I was in the grocery store and it wasn't very crowded. And the lady in front of me was almost finished. The cashier was almost finished checking out her things. I had maybe 10 things. And the lady comes and pulls in behind me, and she is so angry that she has to wait. I mean, I got 10 things. The lady in front of me maybe just has five left. And she is causing a scene, yelling out loud, I can't believe I, you know, nah, 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 nah. And I should have just stayed looking forward and minding my own business. <laughs> But as I said, the condition of the heart, you know, because I have judgments against myself, I'm going to judge it. So I turned around and I just looked at her and I tell you, something came to my mind. A word came to my mind and I can't even say it here because it would be inappropriate. <laughs> but I thought, you know, why am I doing that? And I thought, this is ridiculous. I'm going to turn around and mind my own business. So as I'm turning around, I glance down into her shopping cart. <laughs> judgment, judgment, judgment. Now, I never said any of these things out loud to her. This is just, but it's in my heart. You know, it's torment. It's not God's life. It's death. And so <laughs> out of my heart comes. Well, maybe she'd be a nicer person if she ate anything besides junk. <laughs> so easy. Death and corruption are right there for us to grab a hold of. But when God offers us his immortality, we can grab a hold of it. I could have said, God, what's going on in this poor little lady's heart? that these things were upsetting her so much. Show me how to give her some love. That would have been a whole lot nicer. It would have been nicer for me. It would have been really nice for her. God's life. Imagine if you lived your life without judging yourself about anything no judgment against yourself. That the only thing you feel when you think about yourself is how good you are, how righteous you are. Somebody back there is getting it. <laughs> how worthy you are. You know, you're the apple of God's eye. And when you can rest in that truth, 
you can be at peace. You can rest in who you are and enjoy who you are. And then you get to enjoy everybody else because you'll have God's perspective flowing through you. Recently, God uh, woke me up with a memory that I had tried to stuff for most of my life. It produced fear in me for most of my life. And I saw myself as a little girl, about four years old. A person had been killed, and I was told that it was my fault. And then they took me and they tied me to this dead body. I was freaking out. I couldn't get away. I'm not going to go into any greater detail because it's not what happens that's the problem anyway. It's what we think that that meant that's the problem. Anyway, like I said, it was a memory that I had tried to push away forever. But God brought it to the surface. When God brings something to the surface, he wants to show us something. He wanted to set me free. So this is what he, sh he showed me. I saw Jesus come and untie me to the body of death. Has he done that for you? Yes, he has. He cut the tie so that it could never happen again. I could not be tied to death again. And then I saw myself tied to another dead body. But it was total peace. And it was Jesus. I was in Jesus' crucifixion and in his death and in his burial. And then I saw myself tied to the body of Jesus, resurrected, immortal. Oh my gosh, what a healing. What a healing. How God could take something that was such a, a vile thing of death in this world and he has produced unbelievable joy in me, in it. The life of God, immortality. This sermon is kind of part of the product of that uh, picture that God showed me. There isn't anything that we have been through that God's immortality won't take care of. And I said before, not just wipe the slate clean and level. He gives us abundance so that our cup is running over. And then I saw the most amazing thing happen. I saw the men that had killed that person and tied me to the body. I saw God showed me that they were tied to death too. They were unable to get free of it. I saw them struggling, hating the place that they were in, but not able to free themselves. I saw them in the trap of death, victims of sin. And then I saw our Jesus come and cut those ropes and ties that had them tied to death. I saw them freed so they could be the wonderful people that they had always been. I saw light burst out of darkness and love burst forth where there was once hate. And I saw immortality conquer it all. Immortality conquered it all. I saw immortality swallow up death. We were all in Jesus together, set free from death. And then I understood God's perspective and I was able to see what he saw. And I was able to see what he saw almost as from above because he showed me his perspective. He sees humanity caught in this vicious trap of death. It's the trap of death that's causing the fruit of death to manifest, not who they are. 
And then I saw God's life, immortality come and conquer it for all of them. I saw the value and the beauty of mankind. And I saw God's judgment of mankind as righteous. I think God had worked love in me for those people a long time ago, but not to the depth that I experienced it the other day where I was able to just see they were totally helpless. They were not wanting those things to happen anymore than I wanted to judge that little lady behind me in the grocery store. I didn't say, um, I think I'm going to try to find somebody to judge today. It just came out. Well, the fruit of death just came out in these people in the way it did. But that's not what they wanted. They wanted life. They wanted immortality. Now, we have all been tied to death. Our situations may have been different, but we've all experienced the effects of sin and death in some way. Have you ever tried to separate yourself from that? Has that worked? Have you tried to forgive yourself for something that you think you really shouldn't have done? Have you tried to control your anger, your fear? What about anxiety? <laughs> and couldn't get free from it. It's the same thing for everybody in the world. It takes God. Only God can set us free from the sin and death. And his way to set us free is through the resurrection life that he poured out on Jesus. He joined us with Jesus on the cross, in the grave, and resurrected, and seated at his right hand. We are connected to him, braided together with him, tied to him, one with him forever. This immortality silences the shouts of death. God's life comes and fills us with his perspective when we can't seem to make our way out of a paper bag. He takes our ashes and he turns them into beauty. He turns our mourning into dancing. So how do we celebrate this great inheritance, this immortality, that God has given us freely. We allow God to be God. We allow God to give us his perspective. We allow God to show us that there's a way to live, even in this world, in this day, where we don't have to be focused on the death that we see in front of us. We can see the platter of immortality being placed in front of us and look at that instead. The focus is his resurrection power, just as Stephen saw. Immortality is God's inheritance to you. It satisfies all your desires. It brings us to a place of peace and rest. It wraps us up in his love and his joy. Father, I thank you for this great gift that you have given us your immortality. We want to know the power of your resurrection. We want to live our life in this world by your faith. Thank you that your greatest desire is to serve us with your life, your perspective, and your immortality. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Amen. <laughs>